It's official. MoFi Gate is over. We think. And you've reached your vinyl resting place. This is Vinyl Community Podcasts. This sucks. Rocco's power went out. Where is Phil- it's, it's, did, did a Philadelphia team win or lose something important? Yeah, you know, I don't think so because <laughs> we're kind of in the in the, the, the doldrums of summer. There's only Major League Baseball and yeah, MLS and, and WNBA, right? Like yeah. there's not a lot going on. I, I wrote this down in the prompts for a VC channel or member shout out. Um, yeah. Just just because I was thinking about about we were even talking about during this stream about how most of my music comes from that, like almost all of it. Or it comes from now I have places specifically that I learned about from the VC that I do all my research on or new record labels that are genre specific. Like I'll have my work cut out for me in free jazz for the rest of my fucking life. I mean, because of this, I just threw that in there because like, I think about that. And I wonder if you guys are the same, even though you guys are severe veterans by comparison to me, you still are watching streams all the time on streams, participating like you, you guys have a level of respect for certain people in the VC where if they say something's kick ass and you're like, all right, well then it must be. So yeah. when it comes to the shout out for channels, who are those people for you? You can name a couple of them, right? It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to shout out this channel specifically or like this week or whatever. But when it comes to those people who are like the elders, you know, the elder wizards of the VC, when they say something, you're like, you're paying attention in the first place, but also you're like very likely to go check it out. Who are a couple of those people for you guys? Well, Lazarus, uh, Dwayne, he's been doing this for years. And, you know, he started probably a year or two before I did. Whenever he, he brings something up or he sent some stuff to me, too. So we're just kind of on that same level. Um, obviously, a uh, metal theologian, um, when he's talking about certain things, chromium dioxide, some of the bigger channels like that. Jazz stuff, I mean, I'm just kind of been dipping my toe into that, you know, for years so i used to watch there was a guy named teddy um eat sleep and vinyl or something it was called mm-hmm. he was really big on jazz stuff and i actually had you know not the it's a big channel but mazzy of course i mean some of his uh, some yeah. of the stuff he brings up and the storytelling behind it so he describes it well so that's that that's a nest tier list i would say right yeah yeah um what about you chance um, same same suspects probably to some extent right yeah, I mean, if, if there was, you know, I was kind of digesting your question there. And I would say two really come to mind that I really lean on for different reasons. One is Bob Bradley. And I think Bob Bradley has such eclectic taste. Like, obviously, him being a musician already presents social proof to me that, like, he knows what he's talking about, one. And two, like, he shows records that a lot of folks don't commonly show in the community. Mm-hmm. So like he's he's one of a handful of people that I watch every single video because I have like mad respect for that guy. And then Patrick, the vinyl archivist, like if Patrick says it's the definitive, like he's he's not that, he needed, not, not that he needed to win me over or anything, but just the the the, the, the way he goes about how he does what he does. Oh, is that the word? How he does what he does. God knows what he's talking about, right? And I know when I first started watching him, like that stuff was just like. It was like uh, Alan in the in the uh, the hangovers. It looked like just a bunch of numbers like clouding when I was trying to really decipher him saying. And there's still times like if I knew if I if I needed to ask what the definitive pressing of X record is, I have yeah, zero it. reservations. I'd go to Patrick because yeah. why why mess around when you have somebody who is a subject matter expert like that that I can trust. 
Yeah, Jason uh, agrees in the Bob Bradley front, says you should interview him for the pod. I would love to. Bob, Bob and I have been kind of, we're circling right now. So I'd like, I, hopefully by the end of the year, I can connect with him and uh, we can make that happen. Because, I mean, arguably he's on my Mount Rushmore VC channels. And I've, I've said that on the Ghost uh, show before. But then I did want to take this opportunity too, because when I saw the email come through about, you know, shouting out a channel, there is a new channel I wanted to bring up. And partly it's... It, it reminds me a lot of what Rocco's doing with the production value. It's this channel called Spins Vinyl with a Z. He's a newer channel. His name's Jason. He's really leaning in on jazz, but production value is very high. He, he's very passionate about what he's talking about. Uh, I think he even started like a vinyl tag over the weekend. I think he called me. Part of the reason is he he, he named like three channels and one of which was mine, which I appreciated. But seems like a nice guy. I think he's in Portland. So he's doing like... He's getting a lot of visibility. I think he's in, a, in just a few months, he's up to like 800 subs or something. So he's killing it with that, with all the metric stuff. But seems like a decent guy. And uh, anytime there's like a new channel that kind of catches my eye, I like to like give him a little rub uh, just because like, you know, again, yeah. watch it, watch it and decide for yourself, obviously. But um, I think that's what we should do in the community is just be like, hey, I just caught this channel. Entertaining presentation. Learned a couple things. Right. Check it out. Yeah, um, I... I think that like I've discovered more new music, whether it's actual new music in terms of this year or recently or whatever, or new to me that stuff I've never heard of that is actually ends up being relatively obscure is from the VC people. And the, the best experience that I've had, and it's pretty consistently, it continues. It's like when people make videos, like that you can tell by their body language and their delivery that they like fucking really love this record. You know, yes. whenever that happens, it always is like, well, I want to like something that much too, you know? <laughs> and so I'll check it out at the very, welcome back. You all right. Okay. But, um, you know he's what checking, I mean? So checking second cam camera too. He's checking it. He's checking at the level six camera angles, <laughs> but, um, so I, I'll always do that. And, and, uh, you know, well, right off the top, um, metal theologian is check your, check your audio Rocco. I can't hear you. Yeah. He's, he's off. <laughs> check. Uh, one, two, three, good there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is that good? There we go. Right. Yeah. That's good. Now. Welcome back. Welcome back. Okay. You okay. No tornadoes Hello. or anything or I just heard a boom and like, I oh. didn't know, like I didn't even know it was raining outside, but we've been calling for storms all day, but it's been like suffocating hot and no actual storms. So it's been one of those days where it's like Pants ready to burst. Storms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought it was uh, some Flyers fans coming. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> they're like, we heard what you said. That's right. They're, they're coming, they're coming <laughs> yeah. for it. But yeah, we're talking about, um, we're talking about uh, like, not not just a uh, VC channel shout out. I don't know if you were paying attention offline or your phone or anything. Um, Rocco, I, <laughs> I was trying to, to get back on, but my kids were freaking out too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> kids um, are running around crying. He's like, I have to get back to the stream. <laughs> <laughs> the, we're, we're talking about channels where we uh, like channel shout outs, but not just like individual, like channels you go to that you like really respect for opinions on music and where to find new stuff and, and things like that. Um, or the, like the last word in XYZ. And, and so we went around, um, listed some channels off and, um, mine, mine, the very first one where I was like the, my very first experience with the YouTube VC. Right. And like, okay, this fucking guy is on a different level of knowledge with this genre and it's gotta be metal theologian. And also, um, chromium dioxide who is apparently working on some top secret project mm -hmm. and hasn't made videos in a hundred years. 
which sucks because his videos are absolutely number one. I know. With a Still haven't need to find out what happened to Fossa. Dude, I don't know if you guys. I, I mean, it, uh, he's amazingly knowledgeable on metal, the same way that Aaron, metal theologian, is. But his videos are. I don't. You just if you have, if you don't know who I'm talking about, go to search chromium dioxide and check out his videos. You're chromium welcome. Chromium dioxide radio and just start with video one. Go all yeah. Down. You will not sleep for a couple of days. <laughs> a lot um, of metal. And he, man, he has first presses of like obscure private press albums. I mean, yeah, man. If, you're, if you know that stuff, you blow your mind. I'm, I'm like, so like, you know, and, and so the, their delivery of this information couldn't be more different, right? Between Aaron yeah. and, and, and Chromium. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But their knowledge is always right up the same street. And it's like when metal theologians so casually just like dumps off like absolutely Indiana Jones level metal knowledge about shit. Like, it's like, oh, everyone knows whatever, you know, like we're all on the same page. I'm like, no, we're not. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have enough years left in my life to catch up. Thanks. That that particular genre, especially like like post new wave of British heavy metal, American metal in that like wasp sort of era, like type of shit. There's so much that I would never know. Like I would never look, think to look for. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know where to start. And now it's all starting to web together and connect a little bit. And it's because of channels like that. So those two for me, absolutely. Like another thing is tertiarily, the the jazz bums sort of orbit and the, the videos that those respective members make. Yeah. Leading back to their Discord, like you participate a little bit, you give you their Discord, you go there and it's just like, I don't know, how much do you want to learn about jazz today? And it's just like everybody in the Discord knows everything and it's all like, Jesus Christ, you can ask whatever question you need. It's probably faster to ask that Discord than it is to ask chat GPT, at least more accurate for all those guys. Definitely a shout out there. So Rocco, what channels do you feel the same way about? Well, there's one channel that I found that I really like getting tons of knowledge from that I've learned a lot. <laughs> <Cross your body. laughs> well, that one definitely. Um, but uh, there's a channel called 10 minute record reviews. I think it's called mm-hmm. 10 minute record reviews or 10 minute vinyl reviews. I like it when they set expectations in the title. Yeah, right? But he definitely goes over to 10 minutes sometimes. Uh, 10 minute record reviews. And And he's got got some really good, like, in-depth, like, um, he goes in-depth with, like, labels or he goes in-depth with, one that caught me big was he went really in-depth with the differences between like rock steady reggae and dance hall reggae. And like, just, he went through the whole lineage of like going from ska to, you know, Bob Marley and everything in between and like what it all meant and how like political ramifications plug in or religious things, like how the Rastafarianism got in there and all that stuff. And it's pretty, I mean, I was, I was impressed. I was like, wow, this is really good knowledge. Like, and it, and it really helped steer me to get better, like reggae picks and things like that. And so I was like, I was hooked to that guy. He did another really good in-depth one on like Sabbath, bloody Sabbath and like all the history behind that recording. And then he did another one on, I think master of reality too. And I've tried to like deep, deep dive into his channel to see if he did more Sabbath record ones. Cause he's got a lot of good information. Just general question that's related. Do you guys have the record in mind of, of the person who like, when was the last time you bought a record? The most recent time you bought a record specifically because somebody, one of these people recommended it. Um, well, you're, you guys are largely one of those people, especially, you know, 
especially you know chance advance it's like you know it's probably a tougher question so that cars rhino reissue that you know a lot of people have been making videos on david bianco did a shoe it out on etc it sold out but part of it the reason i didn't buy it initially was because i everyone was saying like universally shitty mailers no padding it's reliving damage right and that's i try to avoid it if i can't however once it sold out then it heightened my interest in the title and i found that i went i went to the to what i call the butthole of the vinyl community and that's the steve hoffman forums and there was actually some good information about rhino canada still had copies and rhino canada allegedly ships better ships better than their u.s counterparts so i have ordered it from rhino canada we shall see so that to me that was a, a, a definite fomo slash social proof from multiple sources saying this kevin gray yeah. cut rhino thing is choice and eventually wore me down and you're a huge we're on the same, cars fan that's so funny we're on the same dude we literally i literally just did that last night i i went on to last night I went at, for for the Cars record. I went I went and I found I got it from Warner Canada. So I don't yeah. is that the same I'm thing? Is that Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah, cuz 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 Rhino is an offshoot. Warner, we, yeah, it's we, part we, of the Warner okay. Brothers. We uh, yeah. Okay, so I got it from Warner Canada well, and I paid a little bit more for shipping. Did you use the discount code? Because there was in the Hoffman forms, there was a fifteen percent oh. off code, so it, it actually oh. leveled out to about. You're never getting that fifteen percent back. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. <sighs> it's the worst. <laughs> and it's so funny. You know what's so funny? You talking about FOMO, right? I wasn't interested in the cars. I was like, oh, there's five thousand copies. It'll it'll probably play out for a little while. And then as soon as it sold out, it was like my <laughs> fever just went up, and I was like. I don't even like the cars. So I'm like, well, do I like the cars? Wait, I think I like the cars, oh, right? This is... I'm like, and then I went, and then oh. I went and listened to, like, I went and listened to the album a little bit, like on, on, on um, Apple Music. And I was like, you know what? This would sound amazing on my turntable. This would sound great. And so I'm like, I'm, right. I went and immediately got it. I was like, I had this to is the it. kind of honesty so. that every psychologist in the world wishes their patients would just come forth with at actual yeah. sessions they were paying for because this is the kind of shit go. that i try to well, avoid i've and been yet conditioning myself Here, here's because this year i've been trying to be more intentional with my purchases and it's been a crapshoot but you know it had all it, it had all of the the, the poo poo platter of buzzwords kevin gray <laughs> audiophile first of a new audiophile series and then when you then you add compound on so many people mazzy bianco i mean it was like Again, talking about the social proof, people who I really trust their their assessment. Add on the OB, right? Yeah, and and so now and then, like you said, Rocco. Then once it sold out, then I was like on the hunt. So I went straight to Discogs with some jabroni selling for like a hundred bucks. I can't do it. So then I had to I had to go down into the toilet of the Hoffman forums to get some information. Yeah, and they're calling out the elephant in the room. We're all sick, sick people, but at least we admit it. Owning it, owning it, brother. Dude, uh, you just literally described how cults begin. <laughs> well, I just all these other guys, I really I really respect them. They wouldn't lead me wrong, right? They like it. I don't like it. I'll drink the Kool-Aid. It's fine. Why hey, once Squeaky From knocks on my front door, then I'm just gonna walk with her into the into the afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I do try to avoid it. I do. I'm doing all right. See, the yeah. scary thing will be, the scary thing will be bug. in like ten years. 
when we find out that this car's record wasn't pressed from like analog tape and then we're all like, oh, it sounds terrible. Yeah. I'll Kevin you, Ray was using an intern to do it. You I'll know, like all the comes out, yeah. I'll tell you what about that. I, that particular aspect I am immune to. I am absolutely immune to that shit. I've recorded enough full length records and enough studios to know what's really going on. And yes, analog tape sounds a certain way. Yes, if the vinyl mastering engineer is good, that is going to make a fucking the biggest difference. Sure. But right. beyond that, as long as it sounds good to my ears on the system that I couldn't tell the goddamn difference on anyway, then good. Right. And I'm going to try as hard as I can to stay in that zone. You guys don't fuck with me. I'm not getting out of my shell on that. You can't make me. But Louie, it's forty dollars. It's it's the perfect price point, and it's arguably one of the greatest debut albums of all time. So find with my uh, original, well, your OG. I know I have an OG too, and that was part of my yeah. rationale: is if I this is somewhere I don't need to go. And then once it sold out, like Rocco said, oh, and all of a sudden, illness, illness. You'll need if drugs I, for that. If I had an OG, if I had an OG, I probably wouldn't have went for it. But again, I mean, I can't necessarily say that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna live. Well, I know how that is too. Believe me. So I was at my friend's. I was at my friend who is the quarter of a million dollar system, right? He's got his. I'm building bass traps for him actually, and it sounds fucking great. Sounds amazing, just like I expected it to sound. Does it sound a quarter of a million dollars (laughs) better than my fucking audio engines? We can get into what the value. I love your confidence. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds fucking awesome. All right. Like if somebody gave me a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar system for around twenty grand, I'd probably figure out how to put the twenty grand together, right? That's different though, right? I wouldn't go out and spend two hundred and fifty grand on this shit. But my friend and I uh, came together on this one point. We both love the refreshments. Do you guys remember this band from the nineties? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. top three desert island band. Love them. They oh. broke up. Roger Klein and the Peacemakers is their new. He was the main guy. He's the singer. He's got a new band have all, and always has. I love them too. Whatever. Anyway, he got, an, he got a pressing of their first record, which has a story to it. And there's like two and a half of them made and it's fucking whatever. It was expensive. So we got to hear it. I had to hear it. Right. So he puts it on this amazingly good system that we've played other records on previously that sound fucking awesome. And this record sounds like just terrible shit. It's fucking awful in, in really obvious ways. And then we started having this conversation about audiophile, like the audiophile condition and all of this different stuff. And then the, the, the ultimate boiled down question was digital versus analog. And there's something about this that is not talked about in the vinyl community as much as it should be. And that is that when people talk about digital and analog and, and almost always analog wins or whatever, they're talking about digital as if it crystallized in a point in time and never changed mm. or never got any better. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is the, the advent of digital technology sucked incredibly. It was fucking terrible mm. to the point where there's artifacts in what otherwise would be considered pure digital signal at the time. And it's fucking terrible. And it was for a solid 15 years, right? If not 20 but there was a there was a renaissance in digital where it became so good so so much better so fast there's almost arguably complete and utter transparency available now to where if you wanted to record it through the converters and then back to analog tape you would not be able to tell the difference or any human ear would not be able to tell the difference and that's not something that is shot out 
or discussed too much because the distance from which we started in the 80s with digital to today is not linear. It is absolutely exponential, especially in the last 10 years. Like in the last 10 years, computer DACs have become so good that they are without anyone's doubt better than everything that came 20 years prior. Now, are they Hilo mastering converters from Symphony, from Apogee? No, but I still don't know if I'd be able to ever tell the difference. So I wonder about that because the fidelity that they're looking for confuses me sometimes. Because are you listening to the color that the analog tape itself imparts on an otherwise analog signal that went through either transistors or tubes? Or are you listening to the preamps themselves? Or do you know what you're listening to? Or are you educated enough in recording technology to know the difference about what you're listening to? And if so, can you, re can you tell without, can you tell blind? And can you tell versus new digital stuff? And that's, those are all questions that I don't see people attacking in any sort of scientific way or repeatable way. And so I wonder. I, I mean, the only person I could think off the top would be George Borden would be the person who I'd ask those questions to. Because George, I mean, George has probably forgotten more than I could ever know, particularly about, uh, you know, sound itself mm -hmm. from, from not only like working where he's worked, but also just like these are the conversations that I just sit back and listen to other people who know their shit talk about. Because there's no way on earth, to what you are saying earlier, Louie, I could spend weekends, weeks, months, years trying to catch up to stuff like that. But instead, I, I, I'll just defer yeah. to a subject matter expert to kind of like pick their brain on it. Well, that, that is my, you know, that's one of my areas of interest. And I, I've spent a lot of time educating myself on it. But the one thing I don't want to do is stop learning about it. And so there's a lot I don't know, and I need to find out why these questions aren't being attacked in a way that we can find the answers out to. Because I know that at the end of this tunnel, the light is actually subjectivity, right? I know that the answer is, I like it because I like the way it sounds, and that's the fucking end of it. It doesn't matter where it came from, right? If anybody's being honest with themselves, that's got to be the truth, right? Sure. You like it because you fucking like it. Even if you don't know where or how it came from, it doesn't fucking matter, if you like it, you like it. But the, the in-between questions about how we do things and the future of music and the recording technology and how do we get these, how do we make sure that the music that's being made today is still available a hundred years from now, the way that it was made a hundred years ago is still available today, largely through analog tape. So those questions are really important to me and I want to know the answer, even though I, I do think that it ends up in, in subjectivity land. Because I've heard some amazingly good digital shit. Sure, man. Sure. I listened to 192 I, kilohertz yeah. fucking original masters all day. I, I agree with you that the idea that, you know, people's misconception of digital is completely wrong because, you know, like you're saying, it, it, it got a bad rep with MP3s and with the whole Napster thing when it first came out and with those poorly wrapped, you know, like files and everything. And, yeah. and, that even even that at the time was shit compared to even what was even out at the time that you could get if you knew what you were doing or if you knew even like a little bit about audio at all, which I actually did at the time. But even at the time, I even went for the lesser files. My thing personally as a collector is I personally go for quantity over quality first solely because I want to find about new music and I want to find, you know, more things to expand my palette. Now, 
when it comes to actually coming out and buying a vinyl record, though, I do, I would like, you know, like, for example, let's talk about this Cars pressing, you know, the, the $40 for that pressing and the fact that they put the time and effort into those 5,000 copies, I think that's a worthwhile, you know, investment to go to go make that purchase for. At least for the exploration. Like I said, sure. yeah. right, right. And if, but, but even if I, like, if I did, but if, for me that I don't have that record, if I had that record and I had an OG copy of it, Might that's a different. different story. And I, we talk about our, we talk about our obsessions with things like that. I, there, there are better pressings. Like there, when it comes to vinyl, there are definitely better sounding records than others. So that's definitely a real thing. And I think that, one of the things that I watching all the MoFi gate, all that stuff blow up in front of me and watching it and all happen. It all seemed to say to me, like everybody was more pissed about the mismarketing, not so yeah, much of the that fact were that people fooled. were admitting that digital, yeah. not so much that, well, but I don't even say, I don't even, I, I mean, were a lot of people, is there a lot of people still saying that like the, the MoFi version of Santana Abraxas is not still the best sounding version of that record? Or are there people that have gone back on their opinion now and have said, no, I don't think that version's the best That's sounding my version. Point. Like they can't fucking tell. <laughs> right. Until, I don't until think, they and, came out and, until Michael and, did what he did. You know, if no, I had one of those Einstein systems, if like, that's the funny thing about the world of the vinyl community is like, if you have an amazing system, all of a sudden you can be an authority just because you have an amazing system. It's like you can buy into knowledge if you think about it that way. Well, but you're like, buying into heartbreak too I, in a little in a little bit, right? Because it's like, oh wow, this this band that I've loved my whole life and this record is a formative part of my fucking existence. Now it sounds like shit on my expensive fucking system. But that's the thing, and I, I don't. I mean, like I. I I would I would bet that I, I I would if I had one of those systems I would put myself right on YouTube and say I would blindfold myself and I would play the twenty dollar Jimi Hendrix record and I would play the hundred and fifty dollar UHQR and I would see which one I could try to tell the difference of and if I yeah. couldn't I would tell you I'd be like I I I, did, I would do that just because I know it would get a million views you know what I mean like like that that alone would like I, I don't feel that that would take me away from not being a an authority in this if i had that system to be able to make that determination like i would do it oh, in a hundred yeah. like I'll, I'll do it tomorrow with my fluence you know what i mean but like most people if i did it they would say well you have the fluence you're not going to really hear yeah. those differences or whatever i'll do it though i mean i don't care like you yeah. know what i mean like i like to do a blind taste test to it like i'm like i would love like could you imagine i mean granted i mean it would probably have to be on one of the bigger channels but like let's put it out there right now Let's get Michael Fremer and Michael Forty Five and Michael Esposito. Let's put let's Cage, fly man. them all. Yeah, fly them all to like I throw let's fly in. everybody to one place. But I mean, like, what Three would really be that horrible one to man think? Like, please. but but I mean, like, just to just to play the play all the records out and play everything through and just be like, look, you know, can yeah. you really tell the difference of these things? Like, and of course, variables galore, yeah. right? Like. I'm not on my system dialed in for this and I don't or, or do you that have jet lag. It's like, you know, or like, you, you, know, you so. are feeling not great today, you know, or right. it's and noon so it's, and not midnight, you know, right. Or the and wind that blew. goes, right. I mean, that goes all the way I back like to like, base. I like more trouble. Right. Exactly. So and it's like, yeah. Have you guys ever found the channel cheap audio man? Yes, of course. He's so awesome. I, I think he's amazing. And one of the reasons why he started his channel is because he went out and bought 
He said he he said he went out and bought like this like ridiculous eighteen thousand dollar system or something. He got it all home. He got it all set up in his house and he turned it all on. And he's like, sounds like shit. He's like, it doesn't sound good. He's like, he and and granted, like he may have made some mistakes with like the combinations of things that he was doing or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea what his initial story was. But what I can testify to that I agree with with him and his exploration with tons of equipment is the answer is that you don't need to spend millions of dollars to get good sounding equipment and right and and you can you can have really great sounding stuff that that is just playing great for your room you know what i mean good good for your situation you know like so it's you know he's he's a good channel so definitely check out cheap audio another thing that i think is really important is that there's there are a lot of different schools of thought and degrees of critical listening so for instance, I'm trying to discern the difference between a Blue Stripe 1176 compressor and an LA-2A. Now they're very different compressors, right? They have different circuitry and everything. But in order to do that, to, or in order to hear the compression properly, I need to take a track and I need to focus my entire listening energy on the tail, the, the initial transient, and then the tail of a snare drum hit. So when you sit there for an hour play the same track and you and, and you you and these are tracks that are recorded out in the world to try and so that you can test yourself how much can you hear the compression right and so you do that for a while and you really zoom in critically now all of the sudden after doing that enough doing things like that enough you're going to hear shit that no one else is going to hear because you've just trained yourself sure. specifically to analyze something very important about the music right that doesn't have anything to do with the music right from a listening perspective from the uh, you're because when you pull yourself out of that ridiculous zoomed in level and you listen to it as an ensemble it's a completely different thing the only reason that i would do that in the first place is so that i can get it on tape correctly so that i can analyze problems when there's a source problem right and so when you do that enough you start to have all these different weird weird things going on when you react to music and so when a when someone who is critically listening to a, a vinyl uh, a pressing versus another pressing, I wonder what they're listening to because I wouldn't have I would not have thought to listen the way that I'm doing unless I was instructed to do so by people who know what they're doing, right? So when you just are out there in the world with your own I'm not trained in anything other than just I like music and you listen to these things quote unquote critically, what are you listening for? And does it boil down to, well, I like this one better than the other one? Or are you listening for specific things that you know that you can discern because you were trained on how to listen to this critically? And then I have to ask whether or not you're a sane person or not for doing that to yourself and not having like a real reason to do it to solve a problem. Because I can't imagine it's anything other than heartache, right? Because now I catch myself listening to fucking new records that I got thinking about whether or not the snare drum was too compressed. That 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 I shouldn't have done. I had to do that to myself, but I wish I wouldn't have. Eventually, I'll have enough experience to to separate the two out of my head, but not in a passive way, you know. So I wonder about those things a lot. I wonder what to because when recording engineers do it, they can repeat it. If you did a blind taste test of things like, can you tell the difference between an LA two A and an eleven seventy six? I guarantee you that they can. I'm getting to the point where I almost can a lot of the times, but they always would be able to. And I'm not so sure about casual, not, at least not trained casual listeners as to what their critical listening degree or level is and what they're listening. Well, even just what you're saying there about 
about uh, producers, like it amazes me. Like Rudy Van Gelder is just probably one of the most amazing people like on the planet, just for the amount of things that he recorded. It, it astonishes me like how much that, that guy actually recorded. Like if you go back, I mean like you think about like all those blue note records, like every single one of them was recorded by him. Then like all the prestige stuff. And like, it's just like, there's so much. And it's like, he had his ear into that studio so much. You think about when he came out of the studio and came home and like listened to a record at home, how different that must have been for him. And like sitting there and being like, well, when I was in the room, it didn't sound like that. Or, or like him even knowing. And then where does his enjoyment come into it? And I, well, he's doing it. I kill myself because. I almost had a chance to interview him, and I kill. I, I, I get so upset that that, that I missed it. And well, I'm um, upset now it, too. <laughs> I only I only missed it because he passed away. But I mean, like we we were trying to line up the interview, and um, it almost happened. <laughs> rude. I think it's still uh, I know, rude right? Somehow. Seriously, but he lives. He lived in Inglewood Cliffs up until he died, and like so, like we could have went there and interviewed him, and I I kill myself that we never got a chance to because i always wanted to like find out like what it was like for him to listen to music does he like leave his house at night and just turn off music you know what i mean like with how much they were recording and how much they were doing stuff and then like when he is at home does it bother him so much to the point where because it's got to be different because you know i don't think in fact i know nirvana does not listen to any of these nevermind records and go like oh like dave Grohl's not sitting there going like this is the best pressing of nevermind like he does not give a shit if he's good if he ever were to ever listen to that record again he's probably just going to turn on apple music or you know spotify or something like that you know what i mean like but you know it might be on some kind of ridiculous system in his house that sounds awesome so do you guys have title or any of that stuff do you guys do any like like good version. Uh, yeah, I, I tried yeah. title. I tried it, but I, I just didn't juice wasn't worth the squeeze for me. And especially because they didn't have full catalogs like Apple had and right. uh, you know, any other yeah, quantity. Sure. Sure. Yeah. If I do any of that, it's usually just Spotify. I don't stream. And I, I, I don't even download music. I don't even use the download yeah. codes half of the time. Well, I think of all the time, me speaking neither. of that, Vance, mm-hmm. all the time I spent downloading legally and illegally uh, back in the day. <laughs> and I, no, so I'll just be honest. I mean, everybody, you know, Napster, I was in college, right? Yeah. And I had the external hard drive and I had this, like, I thought I was going to have every song ever recorded. And it, it's pointless now <laughs> because I'm so ingratiated with, like, listening. Yeah. My, my intentional listening is pretty much vinyl exclusively at this point. With ex- certain exceptions, obviously, if I'm on the go, I'm streaming and whatnot. But, I mean, it's just funny how technology changes, like, almost on a dime. Because oh, yeah. MP3s were so, like, prevalent. And then, yeah, now streaming. And I have that hard drive. I think it's somewhere here. I haven't turned it on in years. Empty. Yeah, that was the thing with me, too. Because uh, I had, like, a whole uh, catalog of, like, 70s, you know, your Yacht Rock and all that light. FM music, right? I had mm-hmm. CDs from the radio station. This is the entire library for that would be into a radio station. I downloaded all that stuff in an Apple, mm-hmm. and then I ended up selling the CDs for big bucks. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, system crashed, and I lost them all. And I'm oh. like, I'm not... I lost them trying to transfer them to a different computer. Yeah. I Since then, I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to bother with it. That's in... I've always had records, in, but I better have the CD and just a physical copy. So the whole, you know... Digital I thing, to, I just. 
Yeah, that'll With turn MP3s you off. MP3s right? and all that stuff. Yeah, I just like if that. See, the thing is, the public like doesn't get the full ass dossier of what's going on. Like, the, you know, no one's gonna hold your hand and explain to the world like what's what's really going on. Those initial MP3 compression algorithms, I got to see them on a on a. I got to see the spectrograph on a, a mastering. It was a mastering DAW. It was a DAW specifically proprietarily designed for this mastering. Colossal mastering in Chicago was where we mastered one of our records, and we had an MP3 that were a reference file, right? Cause we're idiots. Cause we're kids and we don't know the fucks we're, we're doing. So I brought an MP3 as a reference <laughs> file to like whatever. And he showed, he's like, this won't work. I mean, I'll, he said, I'll get it. Cause I, I get it. I understand that you're going for the sound, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me show you something. And he brings it up on the DAW and it shows the analysis of the data. And it's it, compared to the original masters we were mastering at the time. You could see all the huge, waveforms and everything with all the dynamic range and everything yeah, it just and then it. it's 99 percent missing in an mp3 yeah. like the information the extrapolation which technically is fine if the algorithm is correct but these were shit and you could just see where there was mi- misrepresentation and error and uh there was a specific kind of distortion associated with the, uh, with that particular bit rate at the time. And it sounded like shit and you could actually see it. And I was like, ah, well, okay. Now I understand why they are the way they are. Cause it's the only way we can transfer files on this shitty internet we have. Didn't, right? uh, isn't that what Neil Young would talk about when he, he did the Pogo? He was trying to move, get that yeah. Pogo device to take off. Yeah. About how the algorithm missed a step terrible in there device. or something like that. Nowadays, the, Nowadays, the compression algorithms algorithms are so much better, but they're still they're still never going to live up to a fully uncompressed file, no matter what. The thing that shouldn't be confused is the compression algorithm that's making uh, AAC files or lossless files or whatever compression it's making the files smaller so they can fly around the world faster. That isn't digital. That isn't the digital sound. That's just a compression format. They took the original whatever it was. And smushed it mm-hmm. so it could be five megs instead of a fucking gig, right? Not that an audio file is going to be a gig, but you get the point. So that's not digital, right? The, the digital that everyone's talking about that's evil is, that they suspect is evil, is the way with which the sound was processed initially. And whether, basically, it comes down to whether or not the analog signal went through a digital to analog converter and back. That is the only thing that can be what they're talking about because everything else is the resolution is so goddamn high that, you know, it doesn't sound that weird crispiness from the eighties. It doesn't have that weird ass brittle edge. Well, that's why I had, that's why, that's why MoFi in that, in that, you know, now infamous video, they, they were taking that stance of like, well, I don't know why this is such a big deal. I mean, like this right. stuff, you know, like the information that we're getting on these things is I could show it to you. Like they could literally show you on the screen, like you're getting this much information. Like, so if you're getting this much information on your record, what's the problem? And it's like, well, the problem was you told me I wasn't like you called it a yeah. one step process. That's, that is, a, and that is process. a problem. Like, I, I get you know, that. Like, that's, you know, so that's, but, but that's, but that's where everything, again, like you're saying, like all this stuff always gets like lost in the sauce and like muddled together. Like I think the, the, the idea of, of lost digital, too. you know, yeah, like, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. How many times in your life have you heard that digital is somehow a stair-step wave? You've heard that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, guess, right, right. Because what? Right, it there's no curve to it. Right. No, there, there is. 
There is completely a curve to it. And it's, yeah. it's because it was easier to draw the difference between what would ultimately be a lollipop graph. The, the wave is still a perfect wave. And it is so close to the original one that not a human ear on earth could ever tell. The resolution has got to the point where even the engineers are like, how much more do you want? Like yeah. 384. Well, video, video is similar too. Yeah, because because of our eyes have only a certain number of uh, a resolution of 60 frames, of, uh, 30 frames a minute or a second or whatever, right? Same thing. Well, but, and even still like, like even like, versus film versus digital and like how film like the resolutions of it and like just just that whole that whole thing you know like there and there are you know benefits to like how like you're saying with the physics of things like there's strings record better on tape from what i've heard from people you know than Mm -hmm. they do in a digital setting or whatever because of the resonance and and like Similarly, I was literally just watching something this yesterday on some kind of VFX breakdown of how like film um, resolves uh, bright white light versus digital. Like digital, it will go completely blue, like completely white. Whereas film, you can actually blast into some other pixels there. Yeah, because there's compression. Actually, actually, there's actual visual compression in certain forms of media. Yeah, the thing, the thing for me, the question doesn't come down to. Like when you say strings sound better on tape, what you're saying is, and what everyone's saying when they say that tape sounds better. From what I've heard, that's not me saying that. A lot of people say this and they hold this opinion and they're not wrong. But what they're really saying is that analog tape causes a phenomenon that is unique to analog tape to happen to everything that is put on it. And it does because of the way that it works. It adds a specific amount of reflection and compression because of what it is, right? And so if you like that, Fucking A. It's just that a lot of people don't know that that's what they actually like about it because no one ever told them. And how the hell are you supposed to figure out? This is basically ancient technology at this point, right? So it's like you, you, you are really attracted to a certain sound and then you have to invent a reason why, right? When it could just be that it's on analog tape and you like analog tape compression. A lot of people do. Countless plugins are made daily to emulate specifically that. But the point is, it never boils all the way down to, I like the sound of this better in this context, like strings, for instance, but I like drums that are recorded digitally better. You never hear that. You always hear analog is better, digital sucks. And so that's the interesting point to me. It's like, where did you come up with this? And what is your basis for comparison? I love that kind of thing because like, dude, I, I practice when I, when I rehearse, right. When I sing and I'm like putting my, myself on stage, I'm like, I have to fucking get good at this and get it right every time. And so I, I do it completely free air in a room with just an acoustic guitar and I sing, I'll do it completely mic'd up with state of the art shit directly into logic, real time monitoring. And then I'll do it amplified with a small sound system. So I get feedback from that. And I do all these different things because I've, figured out that psychoacoustic properties in me, whether I'm in a good mood or bad mood are vastly different. And I, and that has to smooth out because I have, it doesn't matter how I'm feeling. I have to perform well and be pitch centered no matter what. So I practice all those different things so I can hear all these different weird ways that my voice either bounces off a wall and hits my ears, comes through my headphones through logic and hits them or comes out of a speaker 120 milliseconds later. Those questions are really super interesting to me. And I don't want to shit on anybody's experience. I just want to find out what they're listening to and why they hold those opinions. Because if you like something, you like something. 
it's just interesting how we arrive at these conclusions because there's a lot of FOMO going around in the VC. And if enough people say something's right, yeah. I don't know, maybe I'll buy that cars record. <laughs> See what I'm saying? You know what I'm yeah. saying when I say that? It's, and that's, no. to me, that's super, that's super important and, and interesting. It's part of the human condition when it comes to listening to music. That's what I love. So with that being said, I mean, back to the Cars record, though, if there is any defense or if I need to defend it at all. Again, there is there is truth to what is being said and presented and made with that Cars record, right? Like, they're coming out and saying that they were that they went back to the original Master Tapes, that, you know, Kevin Gray cut this thing, and they presented in a better package with the OB strip, and it's at an affordable price. So it's yeah. like all those things come into play, into account with it. Whereas, like, as opposed to... And and again, like I would even defend the UHQRs that way too. The UHQRs are expensive, and but they're a premium. Like I think the way that the Steely Dan ones are going is great. Whereas you have forty thousand copies of these things, everyone can get one if you want one. If you don't want one, great. Like you have the options to do it. When there's short runs of them, I think that's really where the FOMO stuff comes in. I think that's really yeah. where like people can really start to like panic and be like, ah, and that's probably where me and chance got lit up with, with the cars thing. Cause it was like, Oh shit. We thought that 5,000 was going to last a lot longer than it did. And boom, it was gone. It was like, Oh no. So another, well, another piece for me is if I listen to it and I'm not like super, again, if I, I, if I do a shootout, and I listen to my original and I listen to this and that to me, it's like kissing cousins. Like I really don't think a difference. And guess what? There's a market to get off of this record. Like, they're money on the shelf, as yeah. Brandon saying, right? Like money on the shelf. So if I want to get off of it, because like I, I, we were talking backstage about that Kirsten Edkins record, right? And when that sold out, the FOMO hit hard, and a lot of these super audiophile Kevin Gray fanboys were out in the cold, you know, because they didn't get it right away. And then that thing, I think, on the secondary market was tracking 100, 152 bills, right? And then they instantly repressed it. So I think. Uh, yeah, you got You got to play the long game, but you also have to be cognizant of if you don't like it, it can yeah. be moved on at virtually no loss. What, but since you're talking about yeah. Kevin Gray and, and you're talking about that, I wanted to point. I wanted to talk or touch on this other thing too. And I think that everybody in the VC should go if they haven't already. Watch all of the different videos where it goes into detail about what Kevin Gray actually does. And what vinyl mastering yeah. when it's done properly is yeah. because now we live in a we live in a time where you can get kick-ass quality like very kick-ass quality especially if you somewhat know what you're doing in your fucking bedroom with your laptop and that is a fact it takes some doing but you can do it right this was not even in the realm of possibility 30 years ago and similarly because vinyl is an ancient technology the people who actually know what the fuck they're doing with it are few and far between like kevin gray Right to master to actually master a vinyl record is not the same word and the same meaning as mastering a record. All records get mastered. They go to a mastering engineer. The mastering engineer takes the mixes and does extra things to them. A lot of times it's compression or volume related matching for different platforms and EQing things like that. There's a lot to it. That isn't vinyl mastering. What they do specifically is not only tailor the sound to go correctly onto the disc because of its inherent. Uh, lack of capabilities, right? But they also see through the entire mechanical cutting process. And that shit is like being a fucking blacksmith, 
essentially, <laughs> right? It, it's a really ancient technology. There's a reason why they're using extremely scale. retrofit yet incredibly old machinery to do it. And there's a reason why all of the things that they do seem antiquated and old because it fucking is. And because of that, and because it almost died off almost completely, there are not very many Kevin Grays in the world. So when you do have somebody who isn't Kevin Gray mastering a vinyl record, chances are excellent that it'll sound like shit. That doesn't mean the original master sounds like shit. Of course. And so, but people throw this away right. like, oh, it's digital, it must suck, or oh, it's, or it wasn't mastered by this or that. In terms of like Kevin Gray type of stuff, you actually can count on getting a much better quality product when those people are there. So that's part of the, that's part of the being in the VC that is real, definitely real, 100%. And, you know, what, what is that short list of mastering engineers that the same names come up all the time? Well, it's funny you said that, uh, Louie, because I remember on a stream and I, I'm probably going to get all the details wrong. Let's call it three years ago or it was during COVID, right? And I think it was when I think Michael 45 was having these like a lot of people on a live stream, Kevin Gray's and those type of people. And that was a question I had. I threw it in the gallery and I think it got read. Michael Fremer was on there, I think. It's like, who, who is the next generation? Who is passing this tribal knowledge yeah. on, right? And, you know, the one name that kind of came up that hadn't won me over at the time was Ryan K. Smith, right? And I, my opinion is I think Ryan K. Smith has made leaps and bounds. I don't know what changed or if it should – I don't know what changed. All I know is five, six years ago, if it was a Ryan K. Smith thing, it didn't really wow me. But the stuff he's doing now, he's, like, knocking it out of the park. The Vinyl Me Please stuff, like, everything he's yeah. touching. So – but then the question still remains, who else is there to that point? Who else is there that's going to be the names? Because Bernie is an old guy. I hate to say it. Sorry, folks. Facts. Mr. Grunman. Mr. Grunman. Mr. Grunman's getting up there. Uh, Kevin Gray going to be up there at some point, too. You know what I mean? Like, who yeah. are the other who and are I, the other people that you can trust know yeah. what they're doing, right? And not to, only that, but like Kevin Gray might be the best fucking mastering engineer for vinyl in the world, but he might be a shitty teacher. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's like, because this, this group of people is so small and shrinking, it's like, that's a very valid question because it is like friggin' blacksmithing, man. It's, it's an old dark art. It's alchemy. And, and, and if you don't have somebody specifically like that to teach you, good luck figuring it out. Now we're in Should the 80s again. So this brings me back. I, I hate to just like be like a, a bad plug for them, but I love them so much. So I don't, I have no fear of it, but Daptone Records, one of the reasons why I love them so much and one of the reasons why they got me into vinyl is because their whole mantra and one of the whole things that they're about is they were like, we loved listening to, you know, 60s James Brown records and we love listening to Stax records and we love listening to that stuff. And I would listen to that music and I would want to emulate that music. And then I would turn around and try to record that with a Yamaha stage custom drum set and a Fender right. guitar and right. um, Pro Tools, and, and it would, would not sound like Motown at all. And so I looked back and it was like, well, what was that guy using in the studio? He was using some knockoff cheap Japanese drum set that they found that, that Stax was using. Oh, okay. Well, let's go find some knockoff drum set. What kind of microphones are they using? They were using this little cheap Radio Shack microphone that cost $30 SM57s. and they recorded... 
Yeah, right. Exactly. And or, you know, right. Any of the whatever it was that they were using, they went and got those things. And how were they doing it? Well, they were doing it on tape and they were doing it in a room and they had four horns around a, a microphone. And if sure. you needed to spread out, you spread out and you, you you needed to get closer. You got closer. And and they purposely like I've even watched Gabriel Roth like talk about this when they're saying, like, why do we still go to eight track tape? He's like. I bring soloists in here who are used to always playing on endless Pro Tools takes and everything. He's like, but when they come in here, he's like, we have eight tracks. He's like, we can sit here all day and you can record over the solo that you just did. But if you do that, you're going to lose the last one that you just did. So now you have to make a choice. Now you have to make a choice as a musician as to what you want to do. And that's really where like that, that got me. I was like, that's it like the i the music i want that purity yes. i want that so then for me it was like okay well they're recording it on this and then they want to they want to release it on vinyl okay i want to buy it on vinyl so i can listen to it the way that they, the way wanted, they to wanted to have it all yes. go down you know what i mean those like, are all so that's absolutely, for me you know those are the right reasons and they have other videos too that you should check out where they're talking to like their their cutting tape guy who like they brought in from like berkeley it was so funny because they brought this guy in from berkeley and he like had done everything that he's done on a computer and they brought him in and sat him at a desk and there's no monitor. There's literally like a thing to cut tape. And he's like, he had to learn how to do all of that again. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they, they built him a, uh, they built him like a fake cardboard box monitor that he could look at all. They were like, you know, just for his security purposes, of you course. Know, like, yeah, yeah. but it was great, you know, but you he's know, awesome about- now. But that, but that passing the torch thing, that guy, I forget who that particular guy's name was. But that guy has now had almost 25, 30 years of tape experience now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah. he's now going to be probably one of those next people that's like doing stuff. I mean, they probably, yeah. I think he might work for Big Crown Records now or not It's sure. good though, because there's always going to be a, seg- a segment of musicians who want, specifically want that. They, they, they feel as though to be authentic, they have to do things that way. And I think that's fucking awesome. I love that. And so that technology will be preserved. Fast forward 35 years from now. There's going to be, there's going to be kids that are like, well, how did Billie Eilish do it? Well, she did it in her bedroom and that'll be the thing, right? She did it. She sat on her bed and sang, well, she sang into Pro Tools and Finnegan fucking, it was literally a hundred percent digital. They won't be talking about that. They'll be talking about that. She sat on her bed while she recorded a number one hit and they'll have to do it that way. You know what I mean? Because it will be just as authentic for them because they have to recreate this sound, this experience and things like that. And I think that's great. I think that coming up with, a way to get to the bottom of how people feel about shit is almost more important than the laboratory answers as to why one thing is different from the other. Because yeah. you can look at a graph all day as to where where the fidelity went or whatever. But if you don't fucking like it, then who the fuck cares? So it's yeah. it's more important to find out why you like why you think you like this more than it is actually how it got there to me. It's, it's a more important discussion or it's more interesting, at least for me. As as someone, you know, you're a musician, I'm a musician. I, as like, none of this stuff ever crossed my mind when I was a musician talking about soundstage. And like, like even when I was like being a drummer in a band and we were just trying to record stuff, maybe we were just naive and not knowing what those things were. But like, I didn't walk into a studio knowing those things. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, yeah. and and I still kind of don't know those things. Like, I mean, like not- I know, like you said, like I know what I like to listen to. Like I listen to it and I'm yeah. like, yeah, that sounds really great. That bass thumps that, you know, like that sounds good. Like, yeah, I know and, and when there's engineers, I know too. when it's not there, you know, like, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that. And, and to some extent, you're not supposed to, or you, you shouldn't because getting it on tape correctly is why there's an engineer, right? And if you say, we want to sound like the offspring or we want to sound like Nirvana or whatever, the, the person should be able to deliver on those reference tracks, yeah. right? And you as right. a drummer need to be, make sure you play your fucking part right. And that's about the end of it. You know what I'm saying? And right. then as a band, you sit in, this, in the control room on the fucking you know, amazing, you know, studio monitors in a perfectly tuned room. And if it sounds good coming back at you, then you're yeah. going to be like, well, we expect it to sound this good everywhere. And then that's the expectation <laughs> and that's it. And then they do their best. I have so many nightmares. I have so many nightmare scenarios yeah, of us recording in terrible places. Do you ever, like, I don't know how long ago, I don't know how far you go back with recording, but I was, re- I recorded at this place. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible music store called Top Ten Music. And in the bottom of the place, they had like a crappy little studio. And the band I was with kept taking, they would, they would, we would record some tracks and then they would like record it down to a cassette tape. And then they would run outside to the car and throw mm-hmm. it into the car to see what it mm-hmm. listened to, to see what it sounded like right. in the car. Yeah. And I remember him getting mad. I, he did have a point because he'd be like, listen to this. And he'd put on like Motley Crue and like, I'd be like, okay. It and then he'd put on better. our thing and it would sound completely different. Now, of granted, course. like there's a million and a half reasons why that's happening. But not like, I was like, which I was like 15 years old. Right. Exactly. I was 15 years old at the time, like at four o'clock in the morning in this car, like, do you guys have another cigarette? Like, it was was just funny. Like, yeah. And it's hard to separate your emotions out of something you're spending literally all your money on and you're slaving over. It's like, it needs to be perfect. Oh my God. Like, well, first of all, it's not mastered yet. It's probably not even going through the master bus yet. I, I grant, I don't know if he won a Grammy. He was nominated for several. The guy who recorded our first amazingly terrible album. sounds great, but it's, the songs are shit. But, um, He's like, I want you guys to be careful about asking for a bunch of rough mixes. And it isn't because I don't want you to have fun or get your money's worth or anything like that. He said, you're going to get married to these. I'm going to give you these CDs and you're going to fucking go home and you're going to listen right. to them 180,000 fucking times. times. Right. And then right. in your head, you're going to form an opinion based on something that isn't even fucking remotely ready for prime time. So please don't. Yeah. Right. Just worry about playing the goddamn parts right. And we were all on the fence about it, of course. But like, you know, he was right. He was a hundred. His name is Mark Rubel. He works at Blackbird right now. He's the uh, director of education for them. He's a fucking genius. And he was right when he said that. And sure enough, we're like, well, we'll just take him anyway. We promise we won't get married to him. And then we fucking had to go back and forth about like, well, on the demo, it sounds like this. Or on the rough mix, it's like, yeah, that's what I fucking said. Now we're going to spend the next hour of your money fine by the way fixing this thing that doesn't even exist and so yeah there's plenty of that going around so funny and it's so funny because that also translates into the photography world and into the video world too like like uh, there are so many people that want to see things like right you know like they want to see before the finished edit or they want to see the raw photos you know like couples that ask for the raw photos and weddings and stuff like that and it's like you don't want to see how the sausage is made. Like there's so many times that you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Like you have, you know, it's like you chose me because you saw my website and you saw my portfolio and those things that you saw were curated, 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like you, you saw a finished product, you know what I mean? Like, so like you chose this engineer to record with your band based on this yeah. CD, that CD was the finished product. That wasn't the 1800 mixes that, yeah. that ended up into that finished product. And the sausage is made in a lot of really interesting ways. Like, like your favorite line was probably taken from about 30 or 40 different takes of that. And somebody, especially in the analog era, because they did it then too, slaved for hours and hours and hours and hours making that sound right because you couldn't do it in one take no matter what your fucking name is right mick jagger or whoever well there's a lot of people who did nail it in one take but by and large some engineer spent days making that vocal track right you know especially not not as long today but especially today in terms of you know do i want to spend all day doing multiple takes of this vocal part or do I want to do five as best I can and then he'll deal with it? Well, one of them saves us $3,000. So, yeah. Right? So, like, when you're a young band, you got nothing else. You're going to always do that. All right. Well, um, let's wrap it up. And we can we can continue going. I just wanted to make sure we, we did a little bit of a wrap-up. This is our fourth episode. I I mean, so far, so good, whatever. I don't know if it, if this episode, we actually talked about real things, so I don't know if that was boring as hell for everybody else. We'll wrap it up and, and say thanks. See you next time on the Vinyl Community Podcasts. <laughs>